Hello, church, and welcome to the FUMC Borough Podcast. My name is Ben Shaw. I am the Director of Modern Worship and Media here at the church. This week, Reverend Drew Shelley brings us a sermon from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 1 through 22, and we'll be talking about the baptism of the Lord on this Baptism of the Lord Sunday. We appreciate you joining us here on the podcast. We would also love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 8.30 a.m. for Modern Worship or 10.30 a.m. for Traditional Worship. Both of those services are offered virtually via our website, Facebook, and YouTube, or in person. Head on over to fumcm.org for more information about our safety protocols if you choose to join us in person. We are so glad that you have chosen to be in ministry here with us at First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And we pray that we can all live into our mission of growing disciples of Jesus Christ who know him, love him, and serve him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. Hello, church. It's Drew Shelley here, one of your pastors at First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro. Happy to be with you on this Sunday, January the 10th, Baptism of the Lord Sunday for us. And we're celebrating that by reading Luke chapter 3, the story of Jesus' baptism and what happens right before Jesus' baptism with John the Baptist. So let's pray together before we hear Luke chapter 3. Oh, Lord, we give you thanks for this day of remembrance. We thank you for our own baptisms and for those many, many moments in our lives when we have felt your presence so closely, when we have heard your voice and been with you and felt united with you in powerful ways. We pray now that you would send your Holy Spirit, just like you did upon Jesus, to open our hearts and minds to what you say to us today, wherever we are. We thank you for the great privilege we have of turning to your word, reading, hearing, listening, and being changed by what you have to say to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is your Son, our Savior, the one who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 22. Let's hear together the Word of God. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, When Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip ruler of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able to raise up from these stones children of Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. 
Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod, the ruler, who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting John up in prison. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the Word of God for the people of God, and so we say, Thanks be to God. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three of the gospel writers, each paint their own unique picture of the baptism of Jesus. Mark's is unashamedly simple. Uh, Matthew has John arguing that Jesus ought to baptize him, and Luke here implies that John does it, but doesn't actually say that John does it. Luke has Jesus last in line for baptism. Jesus has been baptized and is praying when the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. It wasn't a dove, but it was like a dove, somatikos in the Greek, in bodily form. Then a voice from heaven comes, You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. This voice discloses the identity of the son and the character of God the Father. Luke is exceptionally concerned throughout his writings with both the identity of Jesus and the character of God. It's a theme to which he returns again and again. It is fitting that for Luke, the, the life and ministry of Jesus would be marked so clearly. Jesus is the beloved son of a well-pleased God. As we think about our own lives of faith and our own baptism, Luke hopes that we will want to be with this Jesus in this baptism and in this work God is doing in Jesus and in John the Baptist. In just a moment, we're going to look back and see what John was doing out there in the wilderness and how Jesus fit into that. But first, this story makes me think of a thing that happened at the Cookville Church where I served a number of years ago. Our offices at the Cookville Church were in an old bank building, so we actually had a drive-through window with a little pull-through, and it even still had a sign that said drive-through on it. 
my office had two big windows. It was a little office, but two big windows, one overlooking a big intersection like where uh, Marina's on the Square is here in Murfreesboro. And the other window gave me a front row seat to whatever happened in the drive through window lane. <laughs> one morning, early one morning, a little old car came puttering down Dixie Avenue from the direction of the hospital. He pulled up into the drive through window, and he looked at it long enough to realize that we didn't use it anymore. I finally heard the engine stop, and an impossibly young couple got out of the car, probably 18 years old, with a brand new baby, still had the tags on him from the hospital. They came in to the front desk, and they said, I heard them say, where do we go to get him baptized? We tried the drive through window, but nobody was there. Our secretary at the time was Catholic. I saw her cross herself and turn white as she came to get me. We sat down. I said, tell me what's going on. He said, the daddy said, we just had this baby. We want to get him done in case something happens. He's our first, and we want to do this right. You know, he could die anytime. We want him to go to heaven and to be an angel. We want to get him done. We got to get him done. I said, what do you mean done? He said, I mean baptized. You know what it means to be done? We thought you had a drive-through baptism here. That's why we stopped. We didn't really want to get him out of the car. I was looking for the candid camera folks somewhere. It was all I could do to keep myself together. And then I thought maybe the Board of Ordained Ministry had staged this just to see how I would handle it. And I was getting ready to fail a major test. I was fresh out of seminary back then. So I, I launched into a lecture on baptism and theology and how important it is to to have this baptism happen with the people who are actually going to help you raise this child in your church family. And finally, he got tired of me talking. He said, so you won't do it. You won't do it. And I said, no, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I really don't feel comfortable doing this. He got really angry and he stood up. He was about five feet tall. He stood up and stretched his 18-year-old self out and said a few ugly things to me. And he finally said, we ought to take the drive-through sign off our building. And then he said, we're just going we're gonna to get this baby done. We'll just go down here to the Baptist church. <laughs> I said, well, I don't believe I'd try that. Our Baptist brothers and sisters uh, don't think too much about infant baptism. I said, why don't you go over to the Episcopal church on the other side of town? Just park out front and blow the horn until somebody comes out. <laughs> baptism to them, to this family, was a magical hook on which to hang their assurance of God's love for them and their baby. It was a security blanket. It's the same kind of thinking which enraged John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3. These crowds streaming out to get washed off. They want to get made right with God. This brood of vipers which hung its hat on the covenant God had made with Abraham. They feel safe in God's arms because of the covenant God made with granddaddy Abraham. How they lived with each other made no difference. They were the children of Father Abraham. John says, no, that is not how this works. He pulls down their ancient security blanket and rattles them to the core because they know he is right. They wouldn't have gone out there had they not felt something profound was missing from their life of faith. John says, God can raise up children of Abraham from these stones. Don't put your eggs in that worn out basket. I've thought all week, about how we do this same thing. How do we put our trust in the Abrahams of our day? 
Is it our baptism? Once and done, got that checked off the list. Is it a one-time profession of faith and a prayer or church membership as assurance that you are right with God? Is it busyness and giving to others, not in response to God's work in your life, but because we're still trying to earn God's grace? Is it the faith of parents and grandparents upon which we hang our hats as if we'll coast into God's presence upon their coattails? And then there's always that bizarre twisting of John and Jesus's ethical teachings, which leads us to answer questions about faith in Jesus with, with, well, I'm a good person. John would preach to us, God can raise up good people from these pews. That's not what your life of faith is about. That's the fruit of your faith in Jesus. Your faith is in Jesus. John is just so judgmental here. He scares us. He sounds like a loose cannon. He rattles our preconceived notions about what faith is and what faith does and what it means to be made right with God, what it means for all people to see the salvation of our God. And then we hear John shout, bear fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, if we're serious about our faith in God, our life ought to reflect that we have turned away from one thing and turned toward what God is doing. In Luke chapter 3, it just tears everybody up. Oh my goodness, John, we just thought you were going to throw some water on us and take us out to lunch to celebrate. What do we do with this word of judgment? That's the real miracle of this story, I think. The people actually listened. They heard John. They cared enough about their life with God to ask the question, what do we do when our most basic assumptions about faith are shaken? John gives them an answer. He says, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. It tore up the tax collectors and the soldiers too. Teacher, what should we do? They said, what should we do? Collect only what you're supposed to collect. That's what he said. Don't take advantage of your position and your power to enrich yourselves and be satisfied with your wages. Now, part of me wants to say to John, John, you missed your chance. Their hearts were on their sleeves. You had them right where you wanted them. And all you could say was be nice to each other. But that's not exactly what he said, is it? No, no. Uh, John gives them a word that will fundamentally transform how they live, how they do their jobs, and what it actually means to love your neighbor as you love yourself. These mercenaries and tax collectors had jobs rooted in a system that was all about taking advantage of people through your position. It was just the way the system worked. John says, you can't do that anymore. You have, to, you have to change, and that system has to change. This is how the valleys are filled and the mountains are made low. This is how the crooked paths are made straight and the rough ways made smooth. John did not just say, be nice. No, John and Jesus after him are calling for a fundamental change in how we live. They're calling for an end to a lifestyle based on greed, self, and the accumulation of material possessions, and the beginning of a life based on unqualified, open-handed concern for our neighbor's well-being. The curtain of God's heart is being opened, and we see something beautiful there that makes us want to live differently. It is a vision for a way of life 
lived by the people of God that strikes at the root of the materialistic, self-centered culture in which we still live. Even now, the acts of God's righteousness lies at the root of it, not to destroy the world, but to redeem it, refine it, to burn away the junk and set the world free to live as the people of God's redeeming love. Now, in Luke 3, these folks were so moved by John's fresh clarity that they thought he surely was the Messiah. John said, no, no, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff, the junk, he will burn with unquenchable fire. John's powerful words announce the coming of Jesus, the Son of God, born in a manger to an unwed mother engaged to a poor day laborer. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And the junk of our lives, he will burn away. Luke calls it good news. But it does leave us trembling in our blessed assurance. What is this fire about? Burning away the chaff. What if I'm the chaff? What if my brother, my sister is the chaff? I think, I think we need to clarify that. And there's a quote that I love that helps us understand judgment and fire in the New Testament. It goes like this. If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the dividing line, the line dividing good from evil, cuts through the heart of every human being. Which one of us can claim to be all wheat and no chaff? When Jesus winnows the wheat and burns the chaff, when judgment comes, he will sift out and destroy the impurities within every person. Like the water of baptism, this promised fire is a gift that cleanses. So it is that Luke has us thinking differently about what it means to follow Jesus. This life of discipleship is not some once and done status assigned to us. It is not a magical hook upon which we can hang our assurance of God's love. It is not an eternal security blanket. It is a way of life requiring constant turning from the junk of this world and a turning toward what God is doing in Jesus to redeem the world. It is a way of life where we stand still in worship and prayer while Jesus burns away the junk that hinders us. It is a way of life requiring that we live, behave, and think differently because of Jesus, even when it upends our whole existence. That's the life of discipleship we become part of when we are baptized. That water? Why, it's just the beginning. What comes next is the Holy Spirit and fire. It lights the way for a daily walk with Jesus. You can't get that at the drive through window. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, may the people of God say, Amen.